following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to begin by reading the very first verse, okay? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. As Paul continues to move from topic to topic, issue to issue, He now is going to address problems that the folks in Corinth were having caused by confusion concerning spiritual gifts. Paul didn't want anybody in Corinth to shrug their shoulders at this issue and and say in some way, shape, or form, I don't get it, I don't really know much about that, and I don't care. He doesn't want anyone thinking that way, feeling that way. Paul wants them to understand as he wants us to understand this morning that the gifts of the Spirit are along with Christ core to the building up of the body of Christ, okay? The spiritual gifts are along with Christ at the core of building up the body of Christ. Because of their spiritual gifts, some in the church at Corinth thought that they were more spiritual than others, and that caused others to think, well, I need to seek after some different gift that might make me look better or more spiritual. Therefore, in this section of this letter, Paul brings the Corinthians to a basic understanding of spiritual gifts, once again, because it is so important, so essential at the core of the building up of Jesus' body. In fact, he will spend the next three chapters dealing with topics related to this very subject. God empowers his people by his spirit, and here's the reason, for the common good of his church, okay? Never is it so that he wants to make someone look better. Never is it for personal favor to any individual. It is for the common good. It is for the entire body of Jesus Christ. When individuals end up using their God-given gifts for personal gain, they end up acting like pagans, especially those in the first century, attempting to do two things, manipulate people as well as manipulate their idol God to do whatever it is they want that idol God to do. Spiritual gifts had become symbols of spiritual power for individuals. Never was that God's intention. Yes, there was power to those gifts because of the Holy Spirit, but it was never ever to be about your power so that you look better and more spiritual. They are always for, have always been for serving others, blessing others, 
That is the reason that God has given them. Spiritual gifts are essential, as we have said. Thinking that they were much more spiritual than others because of the gifts, Paul has to address this. And this was a horrible misuse and abuse of the gifts that God had blessed the people of Corinth with, as he does us. We must be sure that we never use the gifts of the Spirit as a means of manipulating others or promoting our own self-interests. Never, ever can we do that. The church had lost focus of the purpose of the gifts, and we can't. The Holy Spirit gives different kinds of spiritual gifts to be used in serving the church and building up the body of Christ. This chapter does not give an exhaustive, an exhaustive list of the gifts that are actually mentioned in other places in the scripture. There are other gifts talked about. Romans 12, for example, verses 4 through 8, have a listing of gifts, seven of them, which have been referred to commonly as the motivational gifts. And then we have these here in 1 Corinthians 12. Nine of the, those are listed known as the spiritual gifts, typically. And then there's another set of gifts, five of them, that God gifts the church with in Ephesians 4. Apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, that sort of deal. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel prophesied about spiritual gifts. Even way back then, he mentioned it, saw it coming that it would be for us today. In Joe chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, some of you are familiar with this passage. It says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The apostle Peter quoted from that prophecy from Joel in the very first sermon that was ever preached in the New Testament church in Acts, which is where we see that. As he explained to the amazed listeners on that day, the day of Pentecost, how the group of believers were speaking in many different languages. As a matter of fact, if you go to Acts chapter 2, there's a listing of the nations that were represented on that day of Pentecost, and you will count some 15 or 16 of them, which tells us at least that many different languages were being spoken on that day. The language that was being spoken, the words that were being said, was the good news gospel message of Jesus Christ. And all those folks in their different languages were hearing that message. It says there in Acts chapter 2, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Then Peter stepped forward with the other apostles and shouted out to the crowd, What you see this morning was predicted, was talked about was prophesied centuries ago by the prophet Joel. Clearly, the Holy Spirit 
gave the believers a great gift that was needed because at that time, Jews from many other places, as I just mentioned, had come and were now hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and his coming in their very own language. And it lets us know in that second chapter of Acts that on that day, as most of you are familiar with, 3,000 people responded in the affirmative. <laughs> I want Jesus. And it also tells us on that day, there was 3,000 baptized. Yeah. 3,000 believed, accepted the message of Jesus, and were baptized. Can you imagine that baptism service down at the river on that day? <laughs> wow, what a scene that would have been. As a matter of fact, Jesus had promised and discussed the role of the Holy Spirit with his disciples, even. He did that in John 14, also in John 16. And then listen to what Jesus said to them in Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, and they will speak in new tongues. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and 8, just prior to the Lord's ascension, he's still the one speaking here. It says, for John baptized with water, he's saying this, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we're, what we're about to read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is the very purpose for the gifts, the very purpose for the Holy Spirit, the very purpose for the power that we have in Jesus Christ, in God, is this. And you will become my witnesses. There's the reason. There's the purpose, folks. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That takes in Grand Junction. <laughs> takes in Parachute. The western slope, right, of Colorado. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was such a phenomenal experience that it actually launched the greatest movement that the world has ever seen. Think about that. Christianity itself. God has always equipped his people to do ministry. Every single one of us. It isn't just for the guy who stands behind the pulpit. Every single one of us. However, since Jesus... And the day of Pentecost, there is one great big difference. I just already told you what it is. Every believer is called. Every believer is gifted by God to do what? Minister. To be a witness for Jesus. Everyone. This means every believer is to be that witness to put on display 
through our lives and even through our words, our actions, our behaviors, everything involved with our lives, that person who points people to Jesus and salvation that is found in him. To be a witness is one of the primary reasons God gives the Holy Spirit to every believer, as we've said. And it is certainly the reason that he provides spiritual gifts, okay? The gifts and abilities are given to be used. <laughs> Not just, hey, this is my gift and I'm going to just kind of put it on a shelf and maybe someday. No, they are given for one reason, one purpose, to be used, used in sharing the Lord Jesus and in ministering to the desperate needs of those who are lost and dying in this lost and dying world. Amen? And that is why they have been given. Scripture unmistakably lets us know that there are spiritual gifts, that they do indeed exist. And they've been given by the triune God. The Godhead is involved in this. However, Christian believers do not always use their spiritual gifts wisely. Have you found that to be true? Those of you who have been involved in Christianity for a couple days, at least. Nor as God wants them to be used. This happened to the believers in the Corinthian church and unfortunately continues to happen even in our day. It could be said that the misuse and abuse of God's gifts have, and I want to refer to something that Paul said earlier in this chapter. We saw it last week in verse 17 with regards to the way that the Corinthians were abusing the Lord's table, Paul said, and I'm going to refer to it as it could apply even here now with regards to the spiritual gifts, because of the misuse and abuse, more harm being done than good. May we hear that. May we search our hearts with that. I think this fact alone stresses the desperate need for a study on this very topic. That being said, I, I just want to mention real briefly, I wasn't surprised by it, disappointed, that there were a lot of commentators and scholars who have done their work on books like Corinthians, but when it came to this section of chapter 12, it was so disappointing, they just kind of brushed it to the side, not wanting to deal with this subject. And I think that's tragic. Tragic. As most of you are aware, there's no shortage of controversy <laughs> that comes with this subject. Are you aware of that? Of course you are. The controversy is whether the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit listed in this passage are for today. That's basically the controversy. 
I use the term manifestations intentionally because in verse 1, which we started with this morning, we see the word gifts. And now about the gifts, in the original Greek manuscripts, that word gifts is not there. Paul used another word, as a matter of fact. He used the word pneumatikos, which actually means spirituals. So it would read in the original, now about the spirituals, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That term, spirituals, is to be understood to mean the manifestations of the Spirit, all of them, okay? Christians today have taken many different positions on this subject, but for the sake of simplicity, it really, they could be categorized down into like three categories, okay? And that's briefly, I want to present those to you. Continuation modification and cessation. Those are the terms that scholars have given to these basic groups. Continuation. This position believes and reaffirms or affirms that the infallible giving of special divine revelation ceased with the closure of Scripture, citing that the canon is closed. Even so, God does still continue to speak and lead his church through various supernatural means because the manifestations of the Spirit are for modern times. The next group, referred to as modification, this position believes that significant changes have taken place between the days of Paul and our day, meaning the offices of apostles and prophets were necessary in the early stages of the church, but no longer exist. Therefore, the gifts such as tongues and prophecy and messages of knowledge and wisdom no longer provide direct, infallible, special revelation. The next group, cessation, which you can probably already imagine what that one is all about, just by the name, right? It asserts that all all supernatural special revelation has ceased and that God communicates with his church today only through scriptures. The people in this group believe that the miraculous gifts seen in the New Testament have ceased. They believe for the most part, Paul's comments on the supernatural gifts are largely irrelevant because these gifts no longer exist. Preachers and teachers of the word today have the responsibility of reasoning carefully through the logical implications of Scripture. So there you have in basic form the beliefs of people who consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ today with regards to the spiritual gifts. Some of you are wondering, well, preacher, where are you at? <laughs> As for me, I don't believe that God is still giving infallible divine revelation that is thought to be, hear me now, that is thought to be on the same level as the inspired word of God. I do believe that the Bible is complete. <laughs> the canon is closed and God is no longer adding to Scripture. However, that being said, 
I also believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> so it says in Hebrews 13, 8, right? And that the gifts that he provided the church with at its inception continue to be valid for use today. They are given to the New Testament church for the New Testament church age, which we happen to still be in. Correct? Yes. All right. Now, the last time I checked, the body of Christ is still needing to be built up. Amen. Believers are still called on to be pointing people to Jesus. And the salvation that he offers, does God still do the miraculous? Yes. Does he still speak? Absolutely. And he does it, yes, through his word by way of the Holy Spirit and also through the gifts of the Spirit which he provides. And in order to guard against any abuse, we are to employ, I'm going to share a couple of verses with you, but I just want to say before I share them with you, it is my opinion <laughs> that these two verses would not be in God's word if the gifts were not for today. Amen. All right, how's that sound? Yeah. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold to what is good. And then the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, we are being told by Scripture, powered by the Holy Spirit, that we are not to quench the Spirit, but we are to put effort into identifying the right Spirit. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Right. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me now. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, I think that's interesting that the Apostle Paul uses that term mute idols. And we're going to see why here in a moment. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says... Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul provides here a central principle for distinguishing the Holy Spirit's work from the experiences of pagan religion. Now, we have seen already in this letter, as Paul has dealt with issue after issue, that there was this mix always wanting and threatening to come into the body of Christ, into the Christian worship service, pagan practice. 
And the problem with that is not only is it pagan, it is of the devil, but it was a blurring, it had a blurring effect upon what Jesus is wanting to do. It blurred Christian worship. And so we see that continuing to take place with the gifts. Okay? So Paul wants to create this contrast. He sets it up when he says, when the Corinthians were pagans, they were influenced and led astray to mute idols and their Christian experience of speaking by the Spirit of God. So he's contrasting the two, wanting once again to do away with the blurring that was taking place. It appears that Paul specifically contrasted the extraordinary supernatural experiences of ecstatic speech in pagan religion with the supernatural work, probably especially referring to tongues and prophecy and that sort of thing of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, here's what we know. We can learn from history that mystery pagan religions in the Mediterranean world at this particular time in history practiced ecstatic speech. In this passage, Paul isn't speaking to the Jewish people. He's speaking to Gentiles, to Greeks, who were likely to have been involved at some point in their B.C. days, before Christ's days, had, were likely to be, involved, to be involved in such idolatrous religious practice. Here's what I do know for sure. Satan is the ultimate counterfeiter. Yeah? Here's, what else, here's something else I know for sure. You cannot counterfeit something that does not truly exist. Giving further contrasts, Paul says, the Holy Spirit never leads anyone to say, Jesus, be cursed. Now we're thinking, who would do that? <laughs> well, the enemy would do that, yeah. right? For through someone who was still under the influence of his spirit, his dark spirit. And what is being said here is Paul is basically referring to all that someone might say that under not being influenced by the Holy Spirit, by another spirit, Jesus be cursed. In other words, all this that is taking place within Christian worship, cursed it is, be cursed. And he says, no, anyone who does that, is not being led and not speaking by the Holy Spirit. If someone in the church did that, then they were to understand where that was come from. But then he also says the Holy Spirit empowers those and can only empower those who say Jesus is Lord. Now that is from the Spirit, again, bringing further contrast. In other words, someone who might say Jesus be cursed is cursing the whole worship name. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would say, no, Jesus is Lord, saying that he is Lord in over everything in the Christian worship practice. If you can truly say that Jesus is Lord, if you can truly say that Jesus is my Lord, there's only one way, Paul says, that you're doing that, and it is, that is by way of the Holy Spirit, not on your own. If a spiritual experience does not honor Christ as Lord, nor is confirmed by the Word of God that is not from the Spirit of God. Simple formula to keep in mind. Verse 4, 
there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one is the same God at work. Now, do you remember a little bit ago I re referred to the triune God being involved in the giving of the gifts? There it is right there for you. The Spirit, the Son, and the Father listed for us right there. Here is where the word, now I told you in verse 1 where we see the word gifts, we translate it as gifts, actually isn't there. Here we do find the actual Greek word for gifts being used. It's the word charisma, meaning gifts. Appears, it's, appears, that's what appears in the original text. And I find it so interesting and so just so cool, if I could use that term, that this form is being used, that this word is being used, this word charisma, which its root word is charis, which is the word for grace. And what is grace? That which is unearned and undeserved, right? Yeah, I like that. In verse 4, we see different gifts, but the same spirit. In verse 5, we see different types of service ministries, but the same Lord. And in verse 6, we see different kinds of working or operations. We actually get our word energized from this word here. But the same God. Notice then the diversity of unity <laughs> within. It, it is just only God could do something like that. Diversity and unity coexisting as it does in the Godhead and as it does in these gifts throughout the body of Christ. That is God's intention. The gifts linked to the Spirit, the service ministries linked to the Son, the working operations linked to the Father. And although we humans perform services in the body of Christ only God the Father brings about the results of the gifts that are used in his service. In other words, nobody can take credit <laughs> for their use in whatever God would choose to do through us, through them. It's God who does it. Now, understanding this is of utmost importance because these three verses... Verses 4, 5, and 6 provide the key that unlock the mystery of chapter 12. And I think that partly has been part of the controversy that has existed for centuries. Showing how they beautifully, harmoniously blend with the other lists of gifts in Scripture. For example... Although the word of wisdom and tongues and interpretation, healings, miracles, and faith are often referred to as the 1 Corinthians 12 spiritual gifts, notice how they interconnect with the gifts mentioned in Romans 12. I, just, I think this is just amazing. You know, the ones who were typically referred to as motivational gifts, watch how 
they beautifully connect. It is in Romans 12 where the word gifts, charisma or charis, is used exclusively. And it is where we find the gifts of prophecy, serving, meaning ministry, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, mercy. And I believe every brother and sister has one of these gifts. Everyone does. The gifts that we find in Romans 12, I believe, that have been referred to, as I've said, motivational gifts, are imparted to us at birth. Okay? And I want you to see how they connect with the spiritual gifts that come with our born-again experience. Everybody has a gift, or two, or three. Everybody. And then here's the deal. As we've seen in here in 1 Corinthians 12, everyone has a gift, but then it is Jesus who comes along and opens up the doors for ministry of those gifts, okay? He opens the door, provides the way by which we can use that gift to bless others, to build up the body of Christ. The word service or ministry is used in Ephesians 4, where we find what I referred to earlier as the five ministry gifts to the church, and they are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now, someone might be thinking, I don't see me in any of those. This is always something that is inevitably said around this topic. And I respectively beg to differ. Consider this with me. Suppose someone with the gift of mercy says to the brother or sister who's going through all kinds of struggles and paying their bills or working out a budget, let me meet with you one day a month. I want to share with you what I have learned in this area. You see, at that point, the person with the gift of mercy would be fulfilling the role of pastor. I want you to see the harmonious blending of all of this. As they shepherd people to financial stability in a way that honors Christ. Are you seeing that? This is beautiful. You see, the ministries are supernaturally natural. What do I mean by that? Fully supernatural, fully divine, fully all God's power, but they are given by the Spirit to be used in our natural settings. Supernaturally natural to be used in our natural settings on any given day. In the details in the business of our day. Wow. You see, the ministries are just that. Given by the Spirit to be used in that way. So when like say for example when an older lady helps a younger woman 
learn how to navigate marriage and child rearing based on her experience and insights learned from God's word. She is at that point actually functioning as a teacher. Yes. Ephesians 4. And although she's not teaching predestination <laughs> or sanctification or even eschatology, she's employing the gift of teaching in the very same degree as one who stands behind a pulpit. Now I want you to watch this. Those who exercise their Roman 12 gift of the Spirit in conjunction with 1 Corinthians 12, 4 will find a ministry opened up to them by Jesus, the Son, based on 1 Corinthians 12, 5. Ministering in the Ephesian 4 gifts either as an apostle, one sent out into some area or situation to share the reality of Jesus Christ, or as a prophet, one who shares words of edification and exhortation, encouragement and comfort at precisely the right time in exactly the right way. Or as an evangelist. One who simply shares the Lord wherever he or she is. <laughs> or as a pastor, one who comes alongside people to partner with them in their spiritual growth. Or as a teacher, one who shares truth with others. And of course, all of this in line with the infallible word of God. Everything is energized and the results provided by the Father, 1 Corinthians 12, 6. And so God wants to energize what we've been doing in a supernaturally natural way, what we do for him. This is what Paul will address in the next section. Now, I've... I mentioned to Brian earlier, I, I fully intended to cover 11 verses today. We're not getting that far. <laughs> we will be looking at this next week. Paul will address this in the next section of this chapter. He, he's going to talk about the discerning gifts, the power to know, which includes the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the, the discerning of spirits, verses 8 and 9. He will talk about the dynamic gifts. That's the power to do. This includes faith and miracles and gifts of healing, verses 9 and 10. And then he will talk about the declaring gifts, the power to speak. And this includes prophecy in tongues and interpretation, also in verse 10. Because all Christians are a part of and necessary to the body of Christ. God blesses all Christians with gifts and ministries and the results. Paul says that the one triune God creates a healthy variety of gifts leading to a diversity of ministries 
producing a wide scope of results. Our God is indeed, as Kenny likes to say to us, a good God. Amen. All are important. All are essential. And one is not better than the other. How has God gifted you? How has God gifted you? And what are you doing with it? Is it being used to be a witness for Jesus, to bless others, to build up the body of Christ? I have a question that I want to leave with you that I want you to take with you and, I, and hopefully, if necessary, be with you for the rest of your days. And this is the question. It's not intended to be condemning in any way. I think it actually can be very positive. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself, however necessary, however often you need to. If everybody in the Christian church today was the kind of Christian that I am or have been, what kind of church would Jesus have? And I want you to consider that. I'm going to consider that. What kind of church would Jesus have? If everybody treated him and did him the way you have been treating him and doing him. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has purpose. Everybody's been called. If you've buried it, unbury it. Present it along with yourself to God and then watch what he will do. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and once again, we've heard your word spoken. And hopefully our ears have been opened. Our heart has been connected to your voice. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that you've been saying and however you have perhaps brought conviction or even strengthening and encouragement, I pray, God, that we would not go out of this building and then forget all about it. But that we would do something with it, Lord. For far too long, for far, for, for far too many, have kind of gotten used to the habit of attending a church service and hearing a sermon and then going right out those doors and doing nothing about it. That has never been your desire, nor is it your intention, God, for your people. We are to hear the word and we are to become doers of the word. We're to just do it. And so, God, I pray that you help us to just do it. We, to be the kind of follower that brings you honor and glory. The kind of Christian that will empty 
ourselves of ourselves and allow you to come and fill us with your spirit. And with whatever way you want to use us, God, may you use us all for your kingdom and for your name's sake and for your glory, for the building up of the body of Christ. We thank you, God, for the gifts. we will use them for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com So I will lift up